everyone, Karen Zinn here, the dietitian, and I'd like to welcome you to our little short and sharp Q&A session. I am going to give the A's if you guys give the Q's. Um, so bring it on. So the first question, is there a subgroup of people who develop hypertension due to relatively high sodium intake. I appreciate that for many, the weight loss and reduced insulin resistance encouraged by LCHF diets may lower blood pressure, but what about those who have an adverse effect from higher sodium intake? This is a really, really important question because there are a lot of people that are on blood pressure medication that might not necessarily uh, need to be on blood pressure medication and can uh, reduce their blood pressure with diet. But I will say that while there's not a whole lot of evidence saying that a high, a highish or moderate to high salt diet pushes um, up our risks of getting hypertension, uh, which is high blood pressure, there is a small percentage of the population that is considered salt sensitive. So these people truly um, have issues with uh, the relationship between high salt intake and blood pressure. So the thing is, is that how do we tease this out? How do we know who these people are? Um, we don't know if, uh, if, if, if we're salt sensitive or if we're not salt sensi sensitive. And I guess um, you need to just look at uh, what what your level of of blood pressure is? If your blood pressure is um, is high, and you are on medication, and you go on a low carb diet, and of course insulin comes down, and your kidney excretes a whole lot of sodium, and your blood pressure uh, drops, then you can decrease the medication. In which case, you might end up with normal blood pressure, and you are not salt sensitive. If your blood pressure stays high and you can't come off your medication despite a, a moderate level of salt, then you might be one of those individuals that are salt sensitive. Remember that when you go on a low carb diet, if you come off a, um, a high carb junky food diet, um, the reality is that diet, that original diet is very high in sodium or salt. When you go on a well formulated low carb diet, uh, with meat, fish, chicken, eggs, um, nuts and seeds, all the vegetarian options for proteins, uh, fruit and vegetables, and healthy fats, um, the salt quantity of that diet comes down. So you might end up um, having a very low salt intake. Now we know from some good quality studies that when it comes to overall mortality, the highest risk individuals are those people that have very, very high intakes of salt. So double what um, what you and I would normally have. Um, and the people who have very low intakes of salt. And that's why coming onto a low carb diet, um, some people, many people need to supplement with salt. And you can do this simply by adding anywhere between a half up to two teaspoons of salt um, sprinkled over your food throughout the day. And that can be very, very helpful for people. So, uh, so bottom line with that question is that yes, there are some sensitive, salt sensitive people. Best way to find out if this might be you is if you are on medication and you go on a low carb diet and, um, your blood pressure doesn't decrease, um, then that might be 
you might be salt sensitive and you might need to stay on high blood pressure uh, medication. If you can eke your blood pressure medication down along with your medical professional, then you um, might have been on blood pressure medication for no good reason because your diet has helped you control and manage that. Hopefully that's answered your question. I am going to answer this question um, by you, Karen. She's a name with me, just different spelling. What is the best way to support your thyroid? You know, I, I will say that eating in such a way that provides your body with whole foods with lots of good quality nutrients, including some iodized salt to, su to supply the thyroid, is the, is the best way to support it. Um, I will say that going low sugar is, is really, really good. Um, I will also say that that it's it's more than just diet. It's about overall stress levels as well, and not doing anything too drastic. So we know the thyroid might get compromised if you make sudden drastic changes to your diet. So if you suddenly um, on a high calorie diet and you do some um, fasting, which is too much too soon, or you um, you go on a certain diet, any diet that involves dropping an enormous amount of, of, of calories that can compromise your thyroid. The other thing about stress is that the physiological system in the brain, starting at the hypothalamus, which is really just your endocrine regulator, um, your hypothalamus acts on your pituitary gland and that um, and your adrenal system and that and that secretes hormones related to stress it secretes hormones related to thyroid secretes hormones related to your reproductive system and they all operate simultaneously to allow for or to facilitate optimal health and sometimes they can get a little bit messy so if you're in a high stress situation and there are things going on some people call it adrenal fatigue it might just be a very high stress high cortisol situation thyroid can get caught up in that physiologically and that can be problematic so not doing anything drastic with your diet, eating good quality nutrient rich foods that provide you with, with everything you need is, is the way to support the thyroid. Um, and of course, um, having, um, as little sugar as possible. Um, just one more thing about the thyroid. I think it's, um, th there's, there's been a lot of talk about low carb diets um, being problematic with the thyroid because you need a bit of insulin for thyroid hormone synthesis. And I will say that there's not a lot of ev evidence for that. And I will say sometimes your thyroid your thyroid numbers might not necessarily sit in the range that is considered normal by mainstream lab tests, but if you are feeling good and if everything is is going you know in a, in a hunky-dory fashion then there might not necessarily be a problem so I think it's about paying attention to how you feel um, if you start feeling extreme cold um, in the um, in your extremities like your hands and your feet and you might be um, losing hair or having compromised hair structure and, and function then it might be something to, to look at what, what are you doing differently? Has your diet changed? Um, have your stress levels changed? So hopefully that wraps, wraps up the thyroid question and um, you're happy with that, that um, answer. The second question is um, about 
um, uric acid. So someone um, has asked me, is there a subgroup of patients who will have a high uric acid level due to LCHF diet with resulting increased, increased cardiovascular risk? I accept many will see a drop in uric acid due to lifestyle improvement and weight reduction, but does this apply to all or is there a subgroup at risk of this? I think this question has probably come from people... Every now and again, people say that their uric acid or people feel like they get a bout of gout, mind the um, rhyming pun there, um, a bout of gout when they go on the ketogenic diet. And the reality is, is that um, what happens in about the first four to six weeks or what can happen in the first four to six weeks of going on the keto diet is um, you get this competitive nature of ketones and uric acid uh, being excreted by the kidney. So because of this this competitive nature, um, you get a slight buildup of uric acid, which is um, what is 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 the problem with, with gout. And people who are not prone to gout and do not normally get gout might have these gout-like symptoms. So I want to um, I want to, ex to to tell people to to rest assured that. And um, that is not, it's not gout. It's just a temporary increase in uric acid and it goes down um, very soon after that. If people might not want to hang in in the keto state and wait until the uric acid levels go down. So all they need to do is bring the carbohydrates up a little bit um, and these symptoms will typically go away. But I will say just to reiterate that comment is that um, going low carb is very beneficial for gout and gout-like symptoms. So um, so just, just make sure those are two, two separate things there. Oh, here's an interesting question. <laughs> Where does the 4 to 8 ideal blood sugar level come from? Hmm, I'm not entirely sure. But it is interesting how people, how health professionals often advise people with diabetes to have their blood sugar and their HbA1c sitting at a slightly higher range and that's considered okay. And it's interesting because now we know that low-carb and keto diets can help put diabetes into um, either reverse it or into remission. Their blood sugars can actually be exactly the same and their HbA1c's can be exactly the same as people without diabetes. So um, I'm not entirely sure where, where that um, where that comes from. Joe has asked, I don't recall reading anything in LCHF info regarding the amount of liquid you should drink during the day. What would you recommend? Water, herbal tea, coffee. Great question. You know, it, it's interesting. So, so you know you have that uh, you must drink two liters of water a day. You must have eight cups of, of water a day for optimal health. Well, um, sorry to burst your bubble. There is not one shred of evidence to support that as a guideline. So, so there are two things that we need to realize here. Um, first thing is that everyone's different. So a, a 50 kilo female and a 100 kilo male will have very different fluid requirements. The other thing to recognize is that Food provides a lot of fluid, particularly if you have um, a diet which is high in fruit and vegetables. That can provide up to two or three cups of total fluid during the day. There's also fluid in meats and fish and chicken and, and, and other things as well. Um, so when it comes to what you actually how much you actually drink, again, everyone's different. Sometimes I can have between five and six cups of whatever in a day, along with my 
food, which is uh, high in, in, in vegetables, and uh, my hydration level is, is absolutely fine. So I will say that water is it's the best thing to drink, absolutely. Uh, but remember, if you're having herbal tea, um, that is water with a little bit of herbal tea. So you can count that as a cup of water. Interestingly enough, tea and coffee, those drinks do have caffeine in them, or un unless you go caffeine-free. But even decaf coffee has a little bit of caffeine in it. While caffeine has been shown to cause diuresis, which means causing you to urinate more than a non-caffeinated beverages, the reality is, is that if you just attune to it and if you just drink a little bit more water, it doesn't really become a problem for people unless you are a total tea and coffee monster. So how do you know if you're a tea and coffee monster? The reality is you need to monitor your hydration status. If you have, if you don't go to the toilet all day or you go once and you have dry lips and you have a dull headache and you're struggling to concentrate, I'd say I'd be 99% sure that you are dehydrated and you're not getting enough fluid. Um, so it's, you, you've got to take the two into account. You've got to be aware and reflective of your own personal symptoms of hydration. Um, going to the toilet two or three or four times a day and then drinking enough fluid to allow that to happen. So that might be a few glasses of water, might be a couple of herbal teas, it might be one or two coffees during the day. It might be some bone broth, some miso soup, hopefully not any fruit juice or cordials because there's too much sugar in those. But, but I hope that sort of gives you an, gives you an idea. Interestingly, I had a client the other day who tells me they drink like five to six liters of fluid every day. And can you drink too much fluid? And that's an interesting question. I think if you are, if you are drinking a lot, you're probably going to the toilet a lot. And that was the case for this individual. And, um, the body's very, very good at self-regulating. It takes what it needs and your kidneys basically say time to get rid of the rest, which can be quite annoying going to the toilet quite a bit. But that's why you need to make sure you've got enough salt in your diet to hold the fluid in the cells. So physiologically, water follows salt. So if you, if you, if your diet is very low in salt and you're drinking lots of water, you, you might have a less ability to retain that water as if you're having a little bit more salt. So that is one of the reasons why they put salt into sports drinks because it rehydrates you. So if you drink a sports drink, the salt will hold the water in and rehydrate you. Of course, I'm not encouraging sports drinks for people who don't need them. And also you can rehydrate perfectly well if you just drink enough fluid and have some um, salt in your, in your foods. So hopefully that, that answers your, your question. Thank you for that question. Do you support the keto diet? And is that something you provide as part of your courses? Um, I do support the keto diet, but, and this is a very big but, very big but. I think that there are a lot of people out there who are on the keto diet that don't necessarily need to be on the keto diet. You can get plenty of good results just by going low carb. Now, I'm going to say I think keto is very, uh, can be very extreme. And of course, all you have to do is ask someone who gets brilliant results on a keto diet. They feel amazing. Um, who will say, no, it's not extreme and I can stick to this forever. Um, so, so that's great. It's a very individual thing. 
I mostly support the keto diet for people who have um, a neurological condition. So that might be brain, certain types of brain cancer, it might be Parkinson's, it might be dementia, it might be concussion, migraine, and of course epilepsy, that's where it came from. Because I think um, there's something very provocative about the mechanism of action of providing ketones as a fuel source as opposed to glucose. So I, I, I definitely think, hands down, if you, if you came to me in my clinic and you said, I've got concussion and I've tried a lot of things, what would you do? I'd go straight to keto to get you into nutritional ketosis and see if that altered fuel source can help. If you said, I just want to lose some weight, I don't mean just, but I want to lose weight, I probably wouldn't say you need to do keto. I'd say, let's let's eat whole food, reduce your carbohydrate, um, up your healthy fat, moderate protein, maybe moderate to slightly high protein for satiety, 80 to 90% of the time, 10% of the time, you know, eat, eat what you want. But if you said to me, I want to do keto to control my diabetes, or I want to do keto for whatever reason, I would support you to do it because if you do keto well with lots of nutrients then it is it's very anti-inflammatory and it's a good way to eat so it's it's not it's not harmful i hope that answers your question okay my husband has recently been diagnosed with high cholesterol is now taking high taking medication well a high, well an lchf diet with a total of 50 carbs max improve for him you know i i'd love to be able to give you a like a, a whole long um, spiel there but it, it's quite tricky cholesterol is a high cholesterol is not necessarily a bad thing and i'm not giving medical advice but what i am saying is that there are lots of different components to cholesterol and i think that in mainstream medicine um, we we too quick to look at things like ldl cholesterol and go you need to have cholesterol medication Many of my clients who go on um, low-carb diet, whole food, low-carb or keto, this tends to happen. Their triglycerides tend to come down. Nine times out of ten, they come down. Perfect. That's what you want, the fat in your blood. HDL, the so-called good cholesterol, goes up. Nine times out of ten. Brilliant. That's what you want. LDL cholesterol can sometimes go up, can sometimes stay the same, and can sometimes come down. Um, now, what we don't know is wh whether it goes up, whether that's um, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, so there's a lot of controversy going, a lot of controversy out there about this. But certainly, um, I think, what was your question? Going to increase his cholesterol? Yeah. So if he goes on a um, a very low carb diet, his LDL cholesterol could increase. But I think what's most important is looking at why he's taking medication in the first place. And if it's if it's for um, a whole lot of family history and some other issues that are going on, that's I don't know enough about his situation, so I'm not going to comment. But I will say that if um, he is being put on a medication purely because his LDL is two points higher than it should be, I don't agree with that. And I'd need to I'd want to look at all the other cholesterol fractions. I would would want to look at a trend over time and um, do lots of things. So so we'll we'll just leave leave that at that um, for you to for you to ponder. Fifty K is lighter and a lot healthy and happier. Awesome job. Well done. Well done. Just wondering about fasting and autophagy. I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail there. Um, it's interesting, autophagy, I was listening to an interesting podcast the other day about autophagy saying that 
that actually you get autophagy in a lot of different ways. Um, exercise increases um, autophagy. Drinking coffee increases autophagy. There are lots of things that increase autophagy. And we don't know whether that number around, you know, 18 hours or 24 hours gets you that optimal um, autophagy. So there is, there, it is, a, it is certainly a gray area. I, I would say that um, the most important thing there is that, um, is that you are continuing on your journey of, of losing your weight, keeping healthy, doing a little bit of intermittent fasting, sometimes doing a lot of continuous advanced fasting, doing it safely and enjoying the benefits. Protein, yeah, protein will stop autophagy. I, I've heard that as well. Um, again, I don't know to what extent it kind of stops it. So yeah, hopefully I've, I've helped you a little bit there. Um, I've suffered cramps when I up my fluid intake three liters per day. I'm fine on two. Awesome. Um, have two then. Don't have three. <laughs> no, seriously, cramps. You you could um, you could up your magnesium. I'm not sure why you're getting cramps there, but certainly having some magnesium diglycinate, which is the best um, absorbed magnesium, could be helpful there. I am wondering why you would need to go up to three liters if if two liters is fine. That's the time where you need to be reflective and and listen to your body. There is dirty keto though, which is too high in fat. Hmm, dirty keto is an interesting term. I I think I'm not sure if I'd use the word dirty, but I think keto can be done improperly. And we always refer to a well formulated low carb diet or well formulated ketogenic diet. And that diet looks like um something which includes a range of good quality protein foods. And it includes a, a good a good range of good colored multicolored vegetables um, for your micronutrients. It looks like some nuts and seeds to increase the fiber intake there. And actually, you you can get all your micronutrients and all your fiber and everything if if you have a well formulated ketogenic diet. I do think some people just take it to the nth and think it's a fat fest, and they are like literally drinking coconut oil, drinking cream, eating butter. That's not really the way I would advise to do it. So so I think it's about appropriate levels of fat, not as much as possible. My dad is at a, a pacemaker insert. Any advice? Be kind to each other. That's about the extent of my of my advice. Um, I, I'm not sure there's any specific dietary relationship, but I will say that um, anyone who's had anything put in them or done to them will benefit by eating good quality whole foods. So good, yeah, good luck with that. I do have one, I have one more question that came in and I, I know I've, I've gone for quite a lot of time, but I do want to mention this because I think it's important. Someone's asked me about um, transit time through the bowel and fiber. And um, I'm concerned that patients using this diet, um, I'm imagining that talking about low carb diets maybe, may increase processed meats um, with the known attendant risks for bowel cancer. Now this is a very, very timely question because I want to say two things. Firstly, um, and I've just said it before, so I'll just repeat it, that a low carb, healthy fat diet with moderate protein and a well-formulated ketogenic diet can be nutrient replete. In other words, you can make an effort to get all the nutrients you need, no problem. 
What I do, uh, what I also want to say is there's a, there's a study that came out yesterday, a very well designed study for looking at um, meat and processed meat and its effect overall effect on on health outcomes, and what they have found was um, the level of evidence to to say that there's any negative effect of eating meat and, and, and processed meat on health outcomes is low to very low. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that you can suddenly start eating Cheerio sausage for breakfast, morning tea, lunch, afternoon tea, and dinner. That's just silly. My advice and how we, how we move through that is, is that you don't need to be scared of good quality processed meat and that might be a bit of a what do you mean by good quality processed meat and what i mean is you can go to the to the supermarket and get really tragic sausages that have um, all sorts of horrible things in them like uh, sawdust and uh, you know gluten and and stuff um, that shouldn't be in there or you can go to uh, your your local butcher and get some good quality sausages you can get some nitrate-free bacon. And in fact, I'm not totally convinced that bacon with nitrates is, is that bad, but um, I'm, I sort of hold that thought. Good quality salamis. Rest assured that if you have some of that in your in your diet, maybe a couple of times a week or you know two, two or three times a week, you don't need to fear that you're going to put yourself at risk of, of bowel cancer. Um, the interesting thing about these studies is that it's just saying an increase or decrease in risk. It's not saying you're going to get anything. And it's not saying that if you don't have any processed meat or any bad things, that you will never get these conditions. It's all about your elements of risk. So 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 it was it was timely because the authors of the study said we don't necessarily need to cut our meat intake and our processed meat intake um we need to just have the amounts that we need and they didn't say that but i'm saying this in context in the context of a whole food nutrient rich vegetable rich diet processed meats and red meats and things um are, are absolutely fine Interestingly, if you look at the Mediterranean countries who who enjoy beautiful health and beautiful longevity, and you look at the what's described as the Mediterranean diet is kind of interesting, but when you go over to these countries, they're eating a lot of um, salamis and prosciuttos and, and processed meats. So I think it, it's the bigger picture um, in, in mind. So the last question is what I think of the carnival movement. What I think of it, I think... I think it's not something that's going to become public health advice. I think, I think that there is a very small group of people who don't fare well on a diet that might even be full of vegetables um, and certainly full of full of grains. So, people with with chronic conditions that have not been helped by mainstream and low carb um, and keto. And these people might have issues with um, lectins and other components of, of vegetables, which kind of act like toxins in their body. So they might remove these and eat carnivore and fare very well. Look, I, I, I think I, in my long history of um, working with clients, I have put one 
client suggested to one client to be on on the carnivore diet because she had all sorts of issues she could hardly eat a thing and she found that being in ketosis was very she she felt the best in ketosis so we tried the carnivore diet with her and um it 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 didn't it didn't last so um i'm not i'm not hugely in favor i'm a i'm a kind of balanced person and i think for the for for most people, for the majority of people, 99% of people eating, um, eating some meat, some fish, some chicken, some pork, some eggs, unless you're vegetarian and you go, um, plant versions of that, um, along with some vegetables, um, along with some healthy fats and nuts and seeds, um, and a bit of fruit is, is kind of the, the best way to do it. Some people have more of something and less of something else. But I think that carnival, yeah, I mean, it can be helpful for some people, but I certainly don't really push it. And it's not because of the, you know, saturated fat or anything like that. I just, yeah, for the reasons I've said, I think it might be beneficial for a very small amount of people. Hopefully I've answered all your questions and I will say uh, thanks for joining me and I will say thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining me and also well done to the people who are supporting supporting Precure, supporting what we're doing and making amazing, amazing changes to your lives and the lives of people around you take my hat off to you. So have a lovely evening or morning wherever you are in the world and um, we'll see you next time.